Well, good morning. This morning we're going to talk about financial management, and this is the first of uh, eight teachings on key principles of financial management. And the topic this morning will be thinking Christianly about economics, work, and money. Obviously, uh, we're all very interested in that latter point, but we need to be interested in the former points as well because all of these connect together. And I'm going to attempt to try to connect them uh, very quickly to you in this short teaching. So bear with me as I walk you through this. Let's start with economics, and let's start with economics before the fall. Before the fall, economics was very simple. It was very easy. You had uh, no sin. And when sin is not there, then a lot of things are different. Uh, you have a garden. You're given a garden, and Adam and Eve had uh, no need of any kind of clothes or shelter. Uh, Health care was not an issue. Uh, you know, the family governance was perfect. Everyone was self-governed under God. And so now you have this wonderful environment, this idyllic environment, where you know you can function and do what God's created you to do. And obviously the easy thing to do is grow the family, grow the garden. And their task was to, to rule God's creation, to rule his planet, to just grow and expand the garden all over the planet. And remember, there were no, no, uh, no, no issues with weather, no issues with, with geography, with insects, pests, you know, earthquakes. None of those things were issues. It was an idyllic environment. And so grow the garden was easy. Uh, they also had to mine the gold. You may remember there's gold in the garden, uh, which gives you a clue as to what the monetary system should be. Because in time, as they mastered God's universe, they would have discovered the periodic table. They would have discovered technology. They would discover that God makes people with different gifts and would have discovered that each person needs to specialize the, 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 the value of specialization and producing more and more efficient, efficient goods and services. So they would have discovered all these wonderful things that that we now know. Uh, and we didn't create these things. These things were revealed to us. But they would have discovered them had they continued in this environment. And they would have discovered them probably a whole lot faster than we did. And they would know probably a lot more, you know, about about the depth of these things that we do even today. So the mining was unimpeded. The gold is right there. It's easy to get to. The garden is perfect. It's never any kind of problem with insects or bugs or crop failures. None of that. Families were self-governed under God. And education was done in the fear of the Lord. It was just a perfect environment. Nothing that impeded what God put man here to do. And then when the fall came, as Dennis says, that became sand in the gears. See, Sin does nothing but impede the purpose of God. Sin is a distortion of God's goodness in his universe. Sin is not something that was created. Sin is something that is, reflects rebellion on the part of God's good creation. And Adam and Eve rebelled, thinking that they could be like God. And so there was a consequence with that rebellion. You know, they spiritually died. That moment that they, they sinned, they died. They went under the curse of physical death. In other words, they began to die physically. And before the fall, they were not destined to die physically. But now after the fall, they're destined to die physically. And all those who followed them, all their heirs, were all destined to die physically because of the fall. So now you have the gardening becomes a lot more difficult. You now have problems with, with insects and you have crop failures and you're going to have seasonality with weather. This could be a problem. 
You can have locusts that come and eat the plants and you can have all kinds of issues that they didn't have before. Now getting the gold, which is going to be the basis for the monetary system, is going to be impeded. Sin makes things harder. Things are always harder, including governing the families because they're no longer self-governed under God. They're self-governed families, but they're now governed by parents who are sinful and the children are sinful. So you've got you've got a double whammy there in the family. Sin goes around with everyone, and the consequences of that are going to be enormous. And those of us who with families, particularly bigger families, you see this in spades. You see the difficulties in raising families. Education is no longer in the fear of the Lord. It's now in the fear of man. In other words, it's going to be very, very jaundiced, biased. It is going to be unable to see truth profoundly. So it will see very much in part. It will know in part. It will understand in part. And wisdom will be blurred. And then we have things, other things that are going to happen or happen because of the of the fall. The clothes. We've got to have clothes because now we have weather patterns and we are shameful if we see each other without clothes. And we have shelter. Shelter is there because of the weather. We, we can no longer have this ideal environment where the weather and the temperature and everything is perfect. Now we have storms and we have severe weather where the temperature can go very hot or very cold. And that can happen fairly quickly. And we can have rainstorms, snowstorms, uh, lightning, all kinds of things where we need shelter. So that's another consequence of sins, the need for shelter. We also have disease. All disease, like pandemics, this is evidence of sin. It reminds us we're in a fallen world. It reminds us that we have fallen from the idyllic pre-fallen condition that Adam and Eve enjoyed. And with all of this also is social disorder. Social order is impaired. We have to have police. We have to have military. We have to have court systems. All of this is required because now we can't govern ourselves well. You know, public policy is a reflection of the sin of the culture. Public policy should reflect biblical thinking. But sadly, public policy mostly today does not reflect profound biblical thinking. It's increasingly professing, uh, projecting worldly thinking, which will not bless us. And finally, sin also produced a need for an ecclesia, which we call a church today. A church is a community, not a building. Uh, but an ecclesia is required because we need deliverance from sin. And that's the, the primary role of an ecclesia is to deal with sin in us and help us deal with the sin in us so that we can fulfill the purpose of God in our lives. So the contrast between, you know, the pre-fallen and fallen state in economics is stark and startling. In the unfallen state, you lived basically with divine potency. God was the measure of all things. You looked to God to learn everything and you had a metaphysical view of reality. And now in the fallen state, you're trying to live in your own strength, your own fallen strength, which is going to be woefully inadequate. And that's what the Old Testament is going to reveal to us. And you're trying to measure everything by yourself as if you can determine right, wrong, which you cannot. And I say you, I'm talking to all of us. We cannot. And learning, we can't learn from ourselves. We have to learn looking to God. And we no longer look to God for learning. There's almost no true Christian learning happening, very little. Almost all learning is happening today in the world 
under the presumption that you that knowledge exists independent of God. That is an assumption that absolutely kills learning for what it should be. And now it's become a very distorted and inadequate way of learning how to live in God's universe, which is why we struggle. We have so much difficulty worldwide with all of the issues of our of our life. And yet there is a litany of things, including just the, the total instability of the world that comes from a lack of understanding of how to live in God's universe well, because we think we can make up our own rules. And all of this is rooted in a, a view of reality that's limited to the natural, which is an inadequate view of reality. It's an incomplete view of reality, and it leads us down a wrong road. So that's that's what's happened. We went from simple, easy, efficient economics to very hard and difficult economics. And now we live in this context and we have to function in this context. And economics is largely the context of life. So let me just give you a couple of definitions here. A pedestrian view of economics is that economics is the social science that describes the factors that determine the production, distribution and consumption of goods and services. The term economic comes from the ancient Greek oikonomio, which means oikos, which is house, and nomos, which refers to law, hence rules of the house or law of the house, and it holds for, it basically a hold for good management. Uh, so a household management is the, is the picture that, that we should be looking to to understand economics. And you can see our federal government and our state governments and our local governments today have no clue how to run their houses. Because if they run their houses the way they run their particular, uh, you know, cities or states or nations, they would be driving themselves into debt that they would never get out of. Because that's what we're doing in every level with public policy is going into debt. So we are not managing well at all. Now, let's think about a biblical worldview of economics. So we have to add some factors here. We need to think about the meta narrative. There is a big story of history that God is executing. And economics is done in that context. There's a creation mandate, which is the driving mandate or the great commission of mankind. It is why mankind is here. We're here to be God's ruling agents. We're not primarily here to be missionaries or to be pastors or church leaders. Those are secondary things. Our primary objective is wherever God has given us authority, we are to rule in our homes, over our personal lives, in our churches, in our business lives, our work lives, the workplace, in our community lives, public policy. These are venues where God has delegated authority and whatever authority you have, you are to bring the rule and reign of Christ into that that jurisdiction, into that particular realm of authority. Then we have the discipleship mandate, which is the empowering mechanism for mankind. The Old Testament reveals to us that with in and of ourselves, we can never obey God's rules. We can never obey him and align with him well. We don't have the power. We are so fallen that we can't do it. But when Christ came, he took care of the problem. He redeemed us from what we could not redeem ourselves from, which is the penalty of sin and death, and then empowered us with his spirit so that we can begin to obey God and do his will and his ways at a whole new level that was unprecedented in history. That's because the Holy Spirit is in us. And the mark of a true Christian is someone who the Holy Spirit is in. And when the Holy Spirit is in you, you will grow. You will change and you will learn to rule in God's creation well. 
So you need to bring that that thinking now into a biblical view of economics. So let me offer you a definition here. Biblical economics is the social science that describes the factors that determine the stewardship of T4 through production, distribution, and utilization of goods and services to facilitate mankind in finding and fulfilling mankind's role, both individually and organizationally, in the meta-narrative congruent with the creation mandate. So you see, I brought in these other biblical ideas into economics and added the T4 concept. T4 is the stewardship of your time, your talent, your treasure, and your technology. All of these are gifts to you. And as God gives you these things, then you need to utilize these things to steward what God has given you to steward, starting with your own life, your family, your local ecclesia, your workplace, and your community. All This is where you steward your T4, and you're always aware of the creation mandate. You're always aware of the big picture, the meta narrative. That we're, that's the context in which we live and work and have our being. And you're aware that the discipleship mandate, the empowering presence of Christ in us and making disciples by helping people grow up in Christ is essential to produce good workers in the uh, for the for the economic sphere, particularly the the business sphere. But, you know, good workers will be good family people. They'll be good citizens as well. But I'm putting the stress and emphasis on the workforce, mainly because we want to talk about work in economics as well this morning. So let's talk about work for a second. What is work and why do we work? So the typical answer, the pedestrian answer is work is the effort applied to produce a deliverable or accomplish a task. That's a fairly common answer for what work is. And most of us, the reason that we work, the motive for working is money. And we want money because we want what we think is freedom. We are all into rights, our human rights, and we're into retiring as soon as we can. So we can do what we want to do when we want to do it, how we want to do it. That's that's the American dream. So that's the pedestrian answer. If you ask most people, that is not the biblical answer. The biblical answer is we work to obey the creation mandate by fulfilling our role in the meta narrative. We work because God created us to work. He ordained that we work and he specifically got a call on us to work. Now, I know some women begin to kind of check out here because they see themselves as homemakers and not workers. Well, let me tell you, working in the home is work. And you've got to do all the same principles at home that you do in the workplace. So whether you're at home or you're remote from home, it doesn't matter. Work is the same. Work is serving the purpose of God. Work is aligning with the will and the ways of God and using your T4 to serve his purpose. That is work. That's what we're called to do every day. Now, that doesn't mean we don't get breaks. We get breaks. You should have a Sabbath rest. You should get breaks periodically where you have a, like a year of Jubilee. You may not take a year off, but take some time off where you rest and recharge. Uh, recreation, recreation is recreation. It's basically allowing your body to get refreshed, your mind to get clear. You physically get well rested and get ready for the next season of life. So we have that because God has created us from the beginning to work. We are not created to retire. That is a false idea. That is a worldly way of thinking about things. We are created to serve the purpose of God, and we largely do do that through work and whatever work assignment we're called to do. 
Now, what was the very first work assignment? Well, the first work assignment was that of a farmer. The farmer is the foundation of all work. If you don't have food, there is no work. Nobody works. You have to have food. And so when you recognize that, you understand that this is foundational. And you'll see Adam and Eve were started out being farmers. They were, that is their work assignment. And let's see how God describes farming, what that work was to him, how he viewed it. So look at uh, Genesis 2, 4, and 5 real quickly. This is the account of the heavens and earth that when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth and no plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no man to work the ground. Now that word for work there is the Hebrew word abad uh, and it means to work in all kinds of senses. Now that particular word is used in a variety of ways in other texts of scripture. And you'll, if you look in, in Psalms, you'll see that that same word is used and, and translated worship and serve. So there you see some interesting nuances. So then in Genesis 2.15, we have some more aspects of this. The Lord God took the man and put, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, abad, and take care of it. So now you have to the work assignment is the idea of of stewarding or caring for it. And that word there is the Hebrew word shamar, which means hedge about, guard, protect, attend. So that's the sense of it here. It's, you're gonna, you know, God is gonna plant this garden and it was at some level of maturity, I guess enough maturity that it was bearing fruit pretty quickly. I'm not aware how God fed Adam and Eve on that first day, whether he had a barn or what, but I would think that the garden was pretty well, the you know, in. It was basically, it was planted and it was already aged, which shows you God can make something with age, which ought to make those who are, who are daters in the various dating fields of the world today stand up and think about this. Wait a minute. I've never thought that God could produce something with age. Well, yes, he could produce something with age. You see that in John two, when Jesus turned water into wine instantly. Wine takes time. It takes aging. But yet that water became became aged wine quickly. Yes, God could do that. And he did that apparently in the Garden of Eden as well as in John chapter 2. So we have God creating this thing. And now Adam's got this charge of Abad and to Shamar. So what is that? Well, I think the way to think about this is this is the most foundational work. And it is a work in which they were to serve and worship God serve and worship God. Remember in Genesis chapter three, you just, we discover that the pattern of living that Adam and Eve had with God for however long they went before they fell was to walk with God each day in the garden. So this was a place where you met God. You experienced the presence of God. You had prayer and conversation with God. It was a place of worship. So it was not only the context of worship, but it was also a way of worshiping by caring for the garden, stewarding the garden. So this is what farming's all about. There's no other business if there's not a farmer. There's no other work if there's not farming. Farming is the foundation of everything because you have to eat to be able to do anything. 
So when you see that, you realize, wow, this is really significant here. All other work is predicated on farming. It's so important that we're told if you're not willing to work, you should not eat. It's that critical. Now we go on for just a minute here. Uh, farming is so important that God even created the rules of farming. I'm not going to read this text out of, out of Isaiah 28, but this is a text that clearly states that God taught farmers how to farm, how to actually harvest, how to process the food, you know, separate the wheat from the tares. You know, he taught the farmer all of these things. You see, the very last sentence of this text says, all of this comes from the Lord. That is, all this understanding about how to farm comes from the Lord Almighty, wonderful in counsel, magnificent in wisdom. God made all the rules of farming. If that's true, he made all the rules for every business activity. He made the rules for the home. He makes the rules for the family. He makes the rules for your personal life. He makes the rules for communities. God makes all the rules for his creation. We have no right to create any rule that's inconsistent with the rules that God has defined. Today, we seem to be feel that we can just make whatever rules we want to make. We're free to do whatever we want to do. That is a false assumption about reality. And the end result of that will not be good. It will be judgment and the judgment on everyone. So whatever culture you're in, whatever level of rebellion against God that shows up in the rules of how that society functions, there'll be fallout on everybody in the society. Don't think just because you profess to be a Christian, you will escape that. You're part of the community just like everybody else. And part of your job is to challenge people to think biblically about how to make the rules that we govern ourselves with. Right now, we're, we're radically disconnecting from anything that smacks of biblical Christianity and thinking we can just create our own rules. And that will not bless us. It will not bless our, our children, our grandchildren. It will not bless anyone. We have to get back to God's rules for all of life. The starting point for every field of study, it does not matter what it is, should be God. In the beginning, God. That's the starting point. There's no other starting point that's valid. Any other starting point is an illusion. It's a false starting point. It's an incomplete starting point, and it will lead you down some road that it will err in some, you will err in some way going down that road. Now, can you see some truth going down the secular road? Yeah, you probably can. You know, I took a whole science program largely from secular men, and I learned some truth, but I didn't learn it profoundly. I'm not going to learn profoundly how to think as a scientist or as a theologian unless I'm really tied to scripture. And you may think that's strange to say theology, but there's a lot of people today teaching theology that don't know the Lord and they teach it disconnected from God's revelation. Those people don't know theology. They claim to, they call themselves theologians, but they're not real theologians. They're false theologians. Well, so it is with anyone that professes to be an expert in anything You are false as an expert unless you have learned your craft, your field, your expertise from a biblical worldview. You have got to go back to that. That is the only way to properly think about God's creation is to think Christian and to know that God wants to grow you up in that capacity 
and give you more and more revelation about whatever it is that you're an expert in so you can fulfill the purpose for which he has created you. So the rules of farming just illustrate to us how foundational it is to lean upon God to learn the rules for everything in life. So what does money have to do with all this? Well, money is a very interesting thing. It's become an idol for us largely today. It becomes the reason that we work. It becomes the reason we choose certain professions. It's the reason we live certain places and we drive certain cars and we wear certain clothes and go to vacation in certain places. Money's the reason for all these things. Money is the reason we measure success, significance, security. We all measure all these things in terms of money. This is, this is deception. This is, this is not true. The reality is money is simply a tool. It is a temporal tool to help us align and do the will of God. That's all it is. You come into the world without money, you will leave the world without money. It does not matter how much you accumulate in this life. It doesn't matter. You don't take it with you. You can't take it with you because it's simply a temporal tool. And if you see it as a tool to do your will, you are in sin. If you see it as, as a tool to do God's will, you're lining up with God. And now you can see money correctly. I had a call yesterday from a young man struggling because he's in a group with other men who are much more, he calls successful than he, because they are making more money than he is. And consequently, he feels inferior, feels like something's wrong with him. And I, we had to have this conversation. You're measuring yourself by a worldly metric. That is not God's metric. God gives you what you need to do what you're called to do. Whatever it is that you're doing, you have, if you have the resources to align with God, whatever. You always have resources to align with God. There's never a resource problem with God. If you line up with him, there will be resources to do what he wants done. That's what Matthew 6.33 tells us. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you, referring to all the needs that you have. Basically, you, you need money to buy your needs. That's why you need money. And God's, God doesn't need money to take care of you. He may choose to use money to do it, but he doesn't need it. He says, you focus on me, my kingdom, which is my will, and do it according to my righteousness, which is my ways, and I'll take care of your needs. Don't sweat it. It's okay. That tells us God funds his will. There's always provision to do the will of God. No matter where you are, what's going on, how poor you may think you are, how, how much you think you're struggling, how much you think God has abandoned you, that's all a lie. There's always a way to do the will of God. There's always a way. When you see that, you'll relax a bit with money. Money won't become such a big deal. You'll know if God wants you to do something, there will be a way for you to do it. So we've got to get very clear on what money is and what it isn't. Just a few little key points about money. Money does not meet our real need. Money only meets our perceived need, at least when we look at it incorrectly. When we look at it correctly, we, we recognize that, that money is a useful tool. But money in and of itself does not meet our real needs. What meets our real needs is true wealth, wealth from God, righteousness, peace, and joy, alignment with God, maturity in Christ, you know, great reputation, you know, a great attitude. You know, working whole, wholly as unto the Lord. 
as an act of worship. Those are that's real wealth that meets our real needs. Money is temporal wealth that can be used by God to meet some of our physical needs, but it's not real wealth. And we're going to see that in a later teaching on this. Secondly, money is a tool to train us in righteous living. You see, learn how we steward money it prepares us to steward true wealth. We see that in Matthew 16, or excuse me, Luke 16, 11. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, that is money, temporal wealth, who will trust you with true riches? You see, this is the test. You've got to start stewarding money correctly to show that you're qualified to handle real wealth. This is like monopoly money. It's it's play money. It's not real money. The real money is much better than the temporal money. Money is a tool to guide us in provision to align us with God, which we just read out of Matthew 6.33. And remember this, this is a warning. When money is used to serve our pleasures, when this becomes the agenda to use money for what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it, we have become an enemy of God. Now, I want to let you know this James 4 text here is written to Christians. It's not written as a general letter to the world. It's written to Christians. You see that in James 1.1. And so he says, he's saying, he's speaking to Christians here, saying, when you use your temporal wealth incorrectly to serve yourself, your will and your ways for your purposes, you're an enemy of God. Now, wow, that's stark you know, words there, but this is the words of Scripture. And we have to learn to pay attention to what scripture says about reality. If we want to live with God in reality, just a couple more things before we close here. Obedience, not money is the predicate for prosperity. Deuteronomy 4, 39 through 40 makes that very clear. In fact, the whole book of Deuteronomy has got a lot to say about money and it's, it boils down to a very simple thing. That is if you obey God, then Everything that you need will be there because your heart will be inclined to God. When you start, you stop obeying God, your heart turns away from God. And now you want to use whatever money you get for your own agenda. God does not fund that. And Psalm 73 tells us a little exception. When God funds sin, which he will do, he funds it to set up judgment. It's like a head fake. We think it's a blessing. It's not a blessing. It's a setup for judgment. I I never want God to fund anything that I'm doing that's not aligned with him. I, I'm by, by the grace of God, I ask, Lord, don't fund anything I do outside your will. Only fund that which aligns with you. I think that's the attitude we have to take. Obedience is the predicate for prospering in every way, in every aspect of life. Good health. Uh, longevity in life, the resources that you need for whatever God's called you to do. All of these things happen as we align with him. Alignment is the way forward. And the second thing here is something I see commonly in Christianity, people thinking that they can worship God in money. Now they, they never couch it that way. They always say things like, I want to be wealthy to serve the purpose of God. I want to be wealthy to give the kingdom causes. I want to be wealthy to support missions and these kind of things. Those are all covers for the, the worship of money. And scripture says it is impossible to worship God and money. You have to make a choice. If you worship money, you are not worshiping God. 
If you worship God, you will not worship money. So that's, it's a binary thing. It, it, you cannot do both. And that's the thing, that's the thing of scripture here is you cannot. And you see, I've got in this text, the Luke 6, uh, 16, 10 through 13, the very last sentence there. It says, you cannot serve both God and, and money. And that word cannot is the word dunamai. Dunamai is the word for power. It means, it, it means that you don't have the power to serve both God and money. It doesn't mean that you don't have the permission. You don't have the permission, but that's not the emphasis. The emphasis is you don't have the ability. You don't have the power. You don't have the potency to do that. You are limited in your ability. And so you have to pick. If you're going to serve money, then you're going down the road of destruction. If you serve God, you're going down the road of life. And so you got to get real clear. And money cannot be the driver of your life. The temptation for money to be the driver is enormous. It's very hard for that not to happen to anyone, but we have to fight it. Every day is part of the battle we fight is to think correctly. And you must think correctly or you will never act correctly. So may the Lord give us grace to think correctly about economics, to think correctly about work, and to think correctly about money. In Jesus' name, amen.